I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by public policy analyst and transportation economist, Pooja Fadke Ghangurde. Stay tuned. You know, like any really good drama or novel, it's absolutely fascinating to see the intersections of story arcs and relationships and characters, and how they're so intertwined and connected. It's the blend of life and people and systems that's so omnipresent, so inevitable, so intricate, and frankly so important. And speaking of important, thanks to everyone for listening to the show and sharing it with your friends, for downloading, subscribing, and rating the podcast on your favorite platforms, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydarndekar. So perhaps nowhere is it more urgent and interesting to look at those intersections of life and people and systems than in the decisions we're making at all levels of the climate crisis. Now there's hopefully an equally growing urgency and compelling ease for imperative climate conscious action at the intersections of policy and economics. And thankfully, experts like Pooja Farke Ghangurde are helping to pave the way forward. Pooja is a transportation economist and a public policy analyst whose primary areas of expertise are in climate action and decarbonization. Born and raised in Mumbai, Pooja worked with the Central Institute of Road Transport under the Ministry of Road Transport and Highways in India before coming to the U.S. to get her master's in public policy. Now, the explosive growth and importance of the transportation sectors in both the U.S. and in India have allowed Pooja to share a unique expertise in analyzing clean energy solutions, incentives, and choices in the world's two largest democracies. She's worked with original equipment manufacturers, political and government establishments, nonprofits, and media stakeholders to help develop policy, communication, and action toward clean transportation. I had a chance to catch up with Pooja to better understand, among other things, the parallels and differences between the U.S. and India, and about how consumer choices and market directions can spur optimism. But we started out by talking about truly a more critical question, which is exactly what does a transportation economist actually do? Oh, great question. Uh, you're not alone. Many of uh, <laughs> my family members are still figuring out what I do. Yeah. Basically, when a policy, a public policy comes on the table, yes, there is efficiency and technology piece of it. But how it's going to impact a community, a country, and globally in monetary terms, mm. that is my role, to put dollars or do analysis and see the impact. It's not always directly visible factors, right? Yeah. We talk about decarbonization. These uh, greenhouse gases we hear about, but how to put numbers to it? So as an engineering team, they can calculate mathematically what are the impacts or like how, how many metric tons of carbon yeah. dioxide. But as an economist, I will have to see health impacts. Yeah. You are a physician, so you know, are aware. So putting numbers to health is very abstract. Yeah. And it's indirect effect. A policy and technology is doing their role. But as an economist, my 
analysis is to show how our behaviors and preferences are impacting our own environment. Yeah. You mentioned that in the end, it's all about our behaviors. You as someone who studied a lot of the economic impact and maybe the background behind how we've gotten to this point, I'm curious, what was the, how's the experience been like to learn of the history behind carbonizing, if you will, and decarbonizing, both in the U.S. and in India now? How has it felt to study at least how we got here? Not so much what we're doing and what we're, what are some of the solutions, but how has the experience been like to, in some ways, study our journey to this point? Uh-huh. Thanks for this question. So it's very personal to me. Um, When I was in my childhood, um, one of my family members developed asthma. And we we tried to figure out why it's happening. And we realized that a family member got transferred to a location where there were textile mills and energy plants, uh, which were run by coal that time. so that personal story started my journey to figure out why it's happening and why we are here. Yeah. So if you go back to history, you know, after World War II, massive industrialization happened. And that's why uh, most of the developed countries' uh, economies really flourished. Yeah. And now China and India are on that path. For example, China's energy consumption is still one third of US. India's energy consumption is just maybe a little bit above one tenth of US. And just imagine they are going to grow. They are going to be one of a few top economies and still they are growing. Are some of those historical lessons and even the personal impact that you just mentioned just as you came to this understanding about how this impact has uh, affected your family or even, you know, some personal items, does the global story and the understanding of history, does it inform in some ways how your work should be treated or how people should respect the idea of how history plays into this? Absolutely. I think from school age, uh we learn history in a different angle. It's more driven by wars and outcome of wars or civil unrest. But then there is history to how transportation evolved, how our infrastructure evolved. All these historical patterns, uh, now because of data science, it's easy to put it in infographics and explain. As a common person, I can get Uh, information easily and see the historical patterns. For example, in India, car vehicle-related pollution is causing childhood asthma and it's increasing. But same trend was there in LA region in 1970s. And that's where we can learn how California got their regulation so stringent that if now we look at Bay Area or LA, Yes, it is still polluted, but it's much, much better than 1970. In the same way, thinking about analyzing and studying and now having lived in both environments in California and also in India. So what are perhaps some of the parallels that you've noticed between the two environments in the U.S. and in India? 
So to begin with, uh, both are democracies. Yeah. Overall, uh, consumption patterns are very similar. We have freedom to choose. Government can nudge us towards a more alternative fuels, but eventually, individually, I'm going to decide or my family is going to decide how I'm going to drive. So interestingly, when I was informally having such conversations in Bay Area or in Indian metro areas, millennials are more eager to use public transit Mm. than their earlier generation. And it's a huge behavioral change. They don't want to spend time in traffic. Right. (laughs) And I wish uh, policymakers focus more on that piece because they are going to be future consumers. So, and I bring both policy worlds together in some decisions. So for example, in India, when I was growing up uh, in my undergrad years, government used to subsidize my public transit. So when uh, I was talking to BART uh, colleagues here in Bay Area, I gave them this insight. Why can't you catch those consumers when they're young and subsidize their transit needs. And the incentives would be amazing for and really cultivate a lot of of trust in the public. Yes. And I see it in my family. I have a teenager, high schooler, who prefers public transit, right? who prefers cycling. And that's a positive change I can see from my generation to his generation. Let me ask you one thing about incentives and, and even choice for that matter, you, you mentioned that these are both very large democracies, but in some ways is is having choice sometimes a double-edged sword where societies, you know, have created environments where you have to make the choice that's actually better for the community and for the overall climate. Is there some danger to having too much choice? It always balances out. So I like that part of being in democracy, that it's okay to have choices or I mean, multiple choices. But finally, I believe in community, we are really smart people. And together, we will bring some consensus. Uh, As you correctly said, you know, sometimes researchers look at two extremes. For example, there is a group which will go for only electric vehicles. And then there is other group which will go for only hydrogen-driven fuel vehicles. But somewhere when it's a democracy and we all have choices, we will definitely come to a middle ground. And and in that way, will we, uh, is, is the danger, and the reason I ask that is because is the danger that we're going to end up coming to a middle ground or to the right choice eventually, is that going to come too late? Because there's still a choice for people to choose transportation selections and choices that are not necessarily wise for our collective future. Uh, So I think as a transport economist, that's what one of our tools we use, especially behavioral economics, uh, where we guide policymakers to nudge consumer behavior, give them uh, healthy choices, but not forcing choices. It should come from within community members yeah. and educate how to educate them 
uh, how to be transparent. The more transparent we are, uh, I believe that voters or community members will make more intelligent choices. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with transportation economist Puja Farke Ghangurde. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with Abe Dandika. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with transportation economist Puja Farke Ghangurde. How have you noticed some striking differences? between uh, the two environments, the particularly the U.S. and, and in India? Um, and, you know, are we in fact seeing a greater divide uh, in between the two? Uh, when it comes to U.S. politics, it's getting way polarized. And unfortunately, energy and transport infrastructure, infrastructure should not, historically, it was never part of that discussion. But it's unfortunate that, yes, energy and transportation is an issue where U.S. politics is getting way polarized, uh, then it's, it's not needed. Whereas in India, right now, a central level, like national level leadership is really, really good. <laughs> they are able to bring consensus. It's very similar, like states have more authority when it comes to transportation like United States, right? Local transit authorities have power than, say, national level in some aspects. So it's very similar. But then when it comes to leadership and politics, infrastructure development is not... A, Perhaps a, not so polarizing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, luckily, everyone, no matter who is governing which state, they are able to bring consensus. So what has been the formula for success for, you know, bringing that consensus and for people to rally around particularly transportation or climate as a, a, as a focal point for, to build that kind of consensus? I think um, when I was observing India, from grassroots level community organizations to national leadership, yeah. Uh, there is this new aspirational uh, generation coming up in India mm. who are not just interested in their self-development, but with their self-development, uh, they want to see their their national brand to be good Yeah. globally. Almost a civic, a civic pride. Civic pride, right. Yeah. So they want India to be at global stage uh, as climate conscious nation right when i talk to local citizens to national uh, leadership everybody is on same page there is no doubt about it and that's very amazing that's the piece i think uh, in us we are not having more conversations about do we want to be leader in the world then we need to do this 
So Pooja, I, I've always had a dilemma in my mind about thinking about what's the right way forward, especially with transportation. Is it the electric vehicle revolution or are we on the cusp of a hydrogen fuel revolution? What, what's your take on this? Uh, we talked about having choices and democracy. So that's where that's how I'm uh, predicting that we are going to have a lot more choices of renewable energy or renewable fuels in transportation and not just one or other. Um, so for example, when it comes to electric vehicle, it's very easy to plug it in my garage. Yeah. Right, and then go. But when it comes to heavy duty vehicles, like trucks, the weight or density of fuel matters and refueling time matters. So maybe hydrogen will make more sense yeah. because carrying a weight of battery just to make that truck work, it's better to use compact and compressed hydrogen. Mm -hmm. So that's where I can predict that when it comes to urban individual transportation, electric or for example, autonomous vehicles, yeah. they, are, they are going to be next innovation. Yeah. So if there is no driver, then who is going to fuel it? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So induction style, which are built in uh, in road, yeah, are overhanging wires, yeah. and it's going to be electric. Right. That's the other aspect. I I think uh, when it comes to autonomous and connected vehicles, maybe electric vehicles yeah. will more sense than fueling hydrogen. Let's see how it goes. I'm also interested in going in future after 10 years and coming back to this conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and figuring out, but I want, I want those autonomous vehicles. For Does one uh, or the other have a better impact overall on our emissions and greenhouse gases, the batteries that are associated with the electric technology versus hydrogen? Thank you for that question. Thank you for that question, because right now our policymakers are more focused on uh, tailpipe emissions, like yeah. uh, in urban area or high density area, their focus is more on reducing uh, PMs and emission levels. So they are focused. So in that case, yes, electric vehicles right now, and even hydrogen, green, blue hydrogen makes sense. Yeah. But pr producing that electricity, producing that hydrogen that's they are still working on it for example uh, us in us natural gas is the key resource of energy production right in india it's coal yeah uh, so <laughs> we have a long ways to go yes maybe i'm plugging this electric car in my garage but it's not completely renewable coming that electricity is still not coming 100% renewable resource. Yeah. Does it make sense? So it does. Yeah, yeah, we have long way to go when it comes to public policy and our choices. But I always say, you know, baby steps. Yeah. Take baby steps. When you talk to specifically stakeholders in India, in the United States, and you think of the both the differences and some of the common ground that you, uh, that you've encountered. What what have been some of the surprises 
in these conversations that you've experienced, particularly that give you some optimism about this? Uh, I'm very optimistic. Yeah. It is much better than, say, 10 or 20 years back. Mm. I don't remember that my classmates used to talk about global warming, climate change, decarbonization, as much as now when I look at my younger family generation, they are way, way conscious about their choices. Yeah. And it's really, really positive thing. And I'm not just talking about US, India. When I talk to people from Sub-Saharan Africa, yeah. who are again, like Africa is going to be next uh, emerging aspiring economy. Yeah. They are also aware of their choices. And it gives me, it's really positive change. Mm. I see from my generation to next generation. They are going to provide us leadership. And I will be happy to see that leadership emerging. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with transportation economist Buja Farke Ghangurde. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with transportation economist Buja Farke Ghangurde. Looking ahead now, what will be practical motivators for individuals, for communities to work together and collaborate to tackle you know, some of the crises, not just in transportation, but in uh, power, water, uh, some of the things that, of course, you're, uh, you've become an expert in? You know, when we talk about fossil fuels, most of us focus on transportation. Yeah. It, fossil fuels or um, petrochemicals are part of day-to-day life. The amount of plastic we use yeah. or the road infrastructure, it's everywhere. It's ever-present. So I always suggest my friends to be more conscious about our choices. Basically, U.S. is still number one consumption economy. Yeah, Consumers have a lot, lot of power to drive the choices. For example, organic products in our produce section. Yeah. You know, 15 years back, people used to think it's expensive. We cannot afford it. This is a fancy stuff. But finally consumers made that choice and now if we go to produce section it's 50 50 and the price difference is still there but at least it's available and that's how i believe individual choices and community choices will make huge difference Mm. Uh, i will give you an example so schools public schools they provide busing right It, it is Political, it has been political issue in US. Now it's kind of transportation piece in every family's choice, right? If right. My, How do I get my kids to school? <laughs> <laughs> if my kid isn't going in public school, at least he should or she should have some transportation option given by public schools. Right. So we are trying to figure out why those school buses cannot be on renewable energy. Mm. Yeah. 
it's a basic thing but it will make a huge difference or for example some of the school districts don't offer uh, buses yeah so can they use public transit buses those kids um, and can those public transit buses be on renewable energy so this is very local issue but we can bring that change you mentioned that you are optimistic about all of this and you know we we sometimes will see news items or or things that pop up on our screen that that don't necessarily speak to that optimism that you know this is we we only have so much time left and and the climate is not just a, a climate issue it's a climate crisis and it's a climate emergency in the end how do we balance both the urgency of things and the optimism with which to enact those solutions so when i said i'm optimist i i didn't negate that there is no urgency of course <laughs> there is really there is urgency i mentioned that china india they are aspiring economies and their consumption is going to mul- increase multifold yeah um so yes there is urgency africa is next so so as a world leader i believe in us when optimism when i'm talking about optimism yeah us is still world leader and as a consumer uh, that's where op- i am looking for optimism the choices uh we are making it can be consumer from china consumer from india from middle east wherever that consu- that's where i see optimism mm. that they are making more uh mindful choices yeah it is there definitely there but the consumers are more aware than they were 20 or 30 years back and and hopefully policies policy makers and and the way that those are being driven can tap into that that sentiment yes it is not possible that this optimism is not possible without policy makers yeah and technology uh, innovators both are important uh, pillars of this equation i always call it triangle like consumer preference innovation and policy so without other two uh, nudging this optimism is not possible uh, that's for sure well we we'll, we're grateful for the economists who are are helping to make that triangle happen and and hopefully move it in the right direction thank you so so much for for joining us uh, today it's it's really been a treat and i hope you'll come back and visit with us again Oh, thank you Abhay thank you for inviting me it was really pleasure to talk to you Thanks again Pooja and I hope that more and more policymakers leaders and community members gain a superb consciousness about the local and global impact of our everyday choices on our climate A very proud and happy 75th Independence Day celebration for India with the prospect of peace diversity opportunity and promise for many many more years to come Till next time I'm a Vaidandaka. Because every story told is a lesson learned, because every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm a Vaidandaka and I share stories about people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is trust me, I know what I'm doing. Listen online at ruckusavenueradio.com and on the Dash Radio app or wherever you get your podcast.